You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. All right, so this morning uh, concludes a three-week mini-series that we've been doing on the topic of God's rest for his people. God's rest for his people. And each Sunday, we've been repeating the promise of Jesus in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So with this promise in mind, two weeks ago, we began our series on the topic of Sabbath rest, and we started here on purpose. The idea was that if we want to experience more of this promise of rest in our lives, then committing, uh, uh, submitting, rather, to the command for Sabbath is a great place for us to start and to grow deeper in. And then last week, uh, Pastor Greg shared about when we step into God's presence with stillness, right? We abide with God by resting in the the truth that his power is in control, that it transcends our circumstances of life, no matter how chaotic they may be. So we've been reorienting some of our thoughts about how we rest and what it means. And we want to finish the conversation Uh, this morning by seeking God's word on the work that we do. We're going to be talking about work this morning. And at first it may seem ironic that as we're focused on rest, why would we talk about work? Isn't that like the opposite? And no, in fact, as we follow Jesus and our lives follow after him, we find that he transforms every aspect of our lives, doesn't he? So the work that a person does This is such a large part of who we are and how we spend our time. It's very important to us. And believe it or not, your work is also very important to the Lord. It's important to God. And so just as God has provided ways of rest, we find that he also provides good work for us to do in tandem with our rest, a sustainable rhythm for work and rest for life for his children. So this is where we're headed this morning to conclude. Uh, So first of all, when I say work, uh, some of you may already be a step ahead of me thinking about this. Uh, Work today is an inclusive term for whatever your productivity looks like on a normal day, okay? So maybe you're a student, maybe you're a parent of children, or you are employed someplace, or you're seeking employment someplace, or retired, or any other thing. It doesn't matter. The message is the same for each of us. Whatever your work looks like in a day, it matters to God. He wants to use it and redeem it for his glory in and through us, okay? So I keep saying that our work matters to God, so we shouldn't be surprised then that Scripture says a lot about work. There's a lot of Scriptures that speak to the meaning and importance of work. Uh, So if we're going to discuss God's Word on this topic, I thought we could return to where we were in our Sabbath discussion at the very beginning of the Bible, because in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God resting from His work. 
We see God resting from his work. First, he worked for six days, and on the seventh, he rested. He worked to create. He made the cosmos, the universe, and all of its contents and humanity. So the Christian scripture, the very first pages of your Bibles, begin with a description of a God who works, who takes chaos and nothingness and he forms it into something creatively and beautifully full of meaning and productivity and after doing so he looks at it and says it is good and it is very good let's read genesis 131 to 2 verse 3 god saw everything he made and behold it was very good there was evening there was morning the sixth day. So he's worked for six days. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work that he'd done. He rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So scripture begins with the God who works. He works hard. Not only does God work to create the universe in Genesis 1 and 2, but just a little bit later in Genesis 2.15, we see God's prized creation, those who are made in his image, the humans, placed in the Garden of Eden. For what purpose? To work. They're put in the garden to work. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So work is something that God has done, but then he hands over this work to his image-bearing creatures, right? Human beings are created in the likeness of God, and this includes our capacity for work and productivity and creativity and meaning in these things. I liked how uh, one pastor, Tim Mackey, puts it. He says, you see a human at work, you see the image of God. You see a human at work, you see the image of God. Work is so good. It was embodied by God in creation, and it is instituted by God for humans as well. So if this is true, which it is, then why do most of us hate Mondays so much? <laughs> why do we hate Mondays so much? Where is the disconnect between the goodness of work that we just read about and the reality of that versus the nine to five or the sleepless nights or the sore feet or sore back or whatever you may associate with work. Where's the disconnect? The fact is that all of us are living in a world that is definitely not the Garden of Eden. It's not the Garden of Eden any longer but rather it's God's good creation that is scarred and broken by the curse that we call sin. So this theology of sin gives us a real explanation for the difficulty that we associate with work. So it's important for us to understand that the existence of sin uh, is the reason that so much of our work is difficult or frustrating, or tiresome, or in some cases, even oppressive or evil in this world. Um, this is also explained for us in Genesis. So I wanted to 
Check that out this morning. As God's created the good world, the human beings do what once they're in the garden? They rebel against God, right? God has placed them there, and, and there's one instruction he gave them, not to eat of a certain tree, but they decide to go um, over God's head, I suppose, uh, disobey his instructions about that and rebel, and chaos ensues. Um, listen to Genesis 3, starting at verse 17. To Adam he said, this is after they've eaten of the tree, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now I read this part of the story for a few reasons, but one is because I want us to remember that work itself is not the curse. Sin is the curse. Right? Work itself is not our curse, but rather sin. Originally, work was made by God and handed over the humans to be like God in their working. But since the fall of humanity, we all know and experience the pain of sin seeping into so many areas of our life, definitely including our work. God says, there will be some food that you get to eat because of your work, but there's also going to be thorns and thistles. We will have bread, but we're going to have to sweat to put it on the table. We will work, but we will be frustrated by our work. This may sound more familiar to some of us. Frustration. So there's a tension here that we see between what God has designed, what he did in those six days and gave to Adam to do in the garden, the goodness of work, and how sin has distorted our vision of it and our experience of it. So with this, there's so much more to be said along these lines, but we have this tension in mind. We want to move forward thinking of this. I want to talk about some examples of how God's word and his perspective on our work can change and actually you know, benefit us wherever we find ourselves at work. Okay? We want to consider some of the commonly accepted attitudes towards work, whether it's in our own hearts or just in culture in general, and then bring them to God and see how those may be contrasted by his word, or, or in some cases we'll find his, his perspective to be just totally countercultural. So I guess stemming from where we just were, talking about the frustration of work, the first sense that I get is that many of us will agree um, that work is a difficult, right? And because of the difficulty of work, whatever it looks like, there is uh, a cultural acceptance of looking down on it. Like I said, we hate Mondays, right? We complain about our jobs. We definitely look forward to the weekend because that's when many of us don't have to work. And that's fine. You know, rest, we've talked about. That's good too. But why do we hate Mondays? Because Monday, if you, at least if you work Monday to Friday, it's the symbolic first day of just five more, you know, difficult, boring, you fill in the blank, um, 
days of work until another weekend. And again, this makes sense to us because we live it. Having said that, God does not want us to resent work or hate the very, or hate the very idea of it. In fact, hard work is admired in Scripture. It is commanded in many different contexts in the Bible. Um, Greg was reminding me of two summers ago, I think it was, we did uh, a summer sermon series on the book of Proverbs. Um, and Proverbs says a lot about work. This first passage, I seem to remember Brad preaching because he, he kept talking about the sluggard. Um, the CSB, which I'm reading, says slacker, which is just as fun to say. Uh, Proverbs 6, 6 to 8 says, Go to the ant, you slacker. Ouch. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provision in summer and it gathers food during harvest. Uh, Proverbs 2.23, there is profit in all hard work, but endless talk just leads to poverty. And Proverbs 12.11 says, the one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. And there's more Proverbs which get at the same thing. The teacher is clear, saying that work is not just a necessary evil, but it's smart, right? It's wise. It's a good way for us to spend our time and to honor God and obey him when we use our minds and our bodies to work hard and gain profit for it. This is a good thing. Yes, it's hard, but it's good for us to do. It's wise to work hard. So, in a negative mindset, which hates Mondays and, and resents hard work, the natural temptation, then, is, is towards laziness, right? Or, or, or just avoiding, you know, whatever's, whatever is hard about our job, we'll set that aside, and then we don't do a very good job of our jobs. And this should not be so. Laziness is certainly not the answer for the difficulty of work. And having said this, on a side note, I want to remind us again of the context in which these Proverbs were written to a group of people who practiced Sabbath rest. Right? So when we hear these Proverbs, it can be easy for us to think like, oh my goodness, I just have to like work my fingers to the bone and, and, and go crazy because that's what God commands. No, no. Um, the people receiving the teaching were people who knew what Sabbath was and were commanded to keep it holy as well. So we are to work hard, but not endlessly. We are to rest as well. Um, another passage that I love and wanted to read this morning that speaks to the importance of work is Colossians 2, 22 to 24, which says, Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. These verses deepen the meaning and value of whatever work you do by placing it on the level of serving Jesus himself. Isn't this amazing? 
Here we see that what happens when hard work is placed in the context of a life after Christ, the result is just a revolutionary approach to our work and our thinking about it. And we can see that this is especially radical because Paul's teaching was specifically in the context to our bond servants, or as some of your Bibles will say, slaves. So the work that has been viewed lower by society in God's eyes is, in fact, not lower at all. If your job feels insignificant or boring or menial or thankless or whatever, don't believe the lies that your work does not matter or that it's meaningless or less somehow. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter, no doubt a very difficult job. Don't believe the lies that your job doesn't matter. The Christian's work is valuable because it is an act of worship to God. And what a blessing it is. So our hard work, it's not a curse, but it's an invitation from the Lord. And this can be hard for us. We need to remember this on the early mornings, on the long days or the late nights of whatever job you have. There are frustrations. There's difficulties, yes. But the call and the blessing to our hard work is to serve Jesus himself. Isn't this amazing? So we can be tempted to resent hard work, to be, feel negative or complain. And yet at the same time, humans are complicated. We tend to hold um, opposing ideas at the same time. Like two things which don't even go together, we'll think them both at the same time. So on the one hand, we hate Mondays and we complain about our jobs. On the other hand, we think too highly of work and we actually make an idol out of it, don't we? We think too much of it. This takes shape in a lot of ways. We were just talking about status in the passage from Colossians, uh, that some jobs are viewed more low in the world. Well, the opposite is totally true as well, isn't it? There are people with careers um, that society worships for the sole reason of their title or the work that they do. It doesn't matter if the person is admirable at all, but their job puts them on a pedestal and we idolize them based on it. This happens in celebrity culture. I was thinking about celebrity culture and how it's changed. It's not just movie stars anymore. You can be a celebrity um, welder on Instagram. Brad, you may want to look into that. Um, you, can, you can become a celebrity for soldering circuits on computer boards or whatever, right? Because of YouTube. It's crazy. Um, so it's very niche. But anyways, that's just sort of an aside. Um, we look at people and the work that they do and we idolize them because of their work. Or, or sometimes we think more of ourselves because of our work. So in a world, in the world, this is completely normal. It's normal to, uh, because of this thinking, treat people differently because of the jobs that they have, isn't it? More honor is given to a person with a higher status in the job or the workplace. And so on. Um, on a similar thinking too highly of work train of thought, there, there's also those of us who at the end of the day, we only feel as good as the 
things that we've accomplished that day. Does that sound familiar to any of us? At the end of the day, we only feel as good as whatever we've gotten done. So this goes beyond a healthy pride in our work, which I think we've established is a good thing, right? To work hard. And it takes it too far, in, and it plays into our existential insecurity, right? And our longing for meaning and all these different things. We can become drawn to the idea that if I have a certain level of productivity um, or a certain title at work or a certain level of education or a salary or, or even just a certain number of things checked off my list, then I will matter more as a human being. And I have to say, in a world without God, why not? Right? This is, again, a fairly rational way of thinking. It makes sense to think this way, but the gospel speaks a different word. The gospel takes the world's metrics of success and wealth, and it turns them on their head. And this is something we talk about often, that with God, greatness is not accomplished through our own means, but through Jesus, who is a servant of all. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavens. How? In Christ. In Christ. So your worth is actually not based on your work, whether it's your title or productivity or whatever it would be. That's not what makes us worthy in God's eyes. God has blessed you through Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heaven for free. You are worth so much more than what you can gain and amass and accomplish in your own strength. It's by grace. And so as we understand this, we can come to Jesus, uh, his words in John 6, 27 and respond. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, don't work for the food that perishes. Now he's not saying don't work to get food to eat. He's saying don't strive for it, right? Don't pursue it with everything, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but rather for the food that lasts for eternal life. And how do we get it? The Son of Man will give it to you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Yes. Now I read this passage because so often the temptation when we idolize work is to chase it as our means of, of um, total fulfillment, right? In our soul. We want work to fulfill us at the most deep level. Jesus explains that this is a pursuit that ends in death. That, that bread will grow moldy. <laughs> Instead, Jesus says, there is food that lasts forever. And in fact, it's his body and blood, which we will come to in a few minutes. We're able to live today and forever, eternally, not because of God's approval of my work, but the passage says because he approves the work of Jesus. Because of his approval of Jesus. And so this is the gift of grace, right? That as we surrender to Jesus as Lord, that every person on the planet, no matter what kind of job they have, 
are able to receive God's approval, his blessing, his gift that is far beyond any worldly riches for free, all because of Jesus. So these are some kind of big picture gospel reminders of how Jesus changes our perspective on work, the work that we do, but specifically how I want us to think about how it affects the nine to five. First of all, we're freed of the pressure to find that existential fulfillment in what we get paid to do, aren't we? We're free from that. And this is good news. It's great if your job uh, provides some kind of meaning and fulfillment for you. That's a blessing too. But not all jobs are dream jobs, are they? Not every job is a dream job. And this is fine. That's okay. Because both uh, culturally low and high jobs, and I, I put those in scare quotes, are types of work that are opportunities to abide in Christ and to honor God with whatever we do. And so we get to stop making an idol of work, an idol that will never love us back, an idol that will never fulfill and satisfy us fully. Instead, we're blessed with the love and grace of God through Jesus. And, and beyond this, how this affects our work is, as we follow Jesus, his spirit will begin to open our eyes uh, to see our jobs beyond just the money in the bank, so to speak, right? Beyond a, a, mean for, a means just for personal gain and financial security. What I mean by this is that the job that you're in will give you specific ways to serve and bless not just you, but the people around you, right? Your colleagues or, or the staff that you're with or your customers or your family, whatever that looks like. Your job is an opportunity, in fact, a sacred opportunity that's too good to miss out on, an opportunity to serve and bless the world, our city, so on. So the question that has to be asked is, in what ways is your work an opportunity to serve and worship? What areas has God placed you in to serve, not yourself, but the people around you with your time and your gifts and your talents? How can you worship through the work that you do? And I love this question because the answers depend entirely on what makes you unique, right? Um, so how this looks will be as diverse as the people gathered in this room, and that's beautiful. God meets you where you're at. He wants to use your work for his glory. So let us not think too low or too high of whatever any one of us may do. Let us not um, hate or idolize work in and of itself, but understand that it's something that God can use in the context of our life with Jesus. Before I conclude, I want to return to Genesis one more time, because ultimately the promise that we find here is that the curse of sin, which we just read about, that makes our work difficult, will actually be undone and restored by God. This promise took place in Eden, actually before uh, Adam and Eve even left 
the garden. In the same conversation where God's following up after their rebellion, in Genesis 3, 13 to 15, listen to what he says. The Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now the serpent is the devil. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly. You'll eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. What is verse 15 talking about? Is it that we are irrationally afraid of snakes? Anyone? <laughs> Lots of us. That makes sense. They're really weird. Um, no, the snake is God's enemy, Satan, as I said. The offspring to the woman promised in verse 15 is Jesus. As Christians, this is what we see, that Jesus is the promised one who will strike the head of the enemy, who will crush him in victory. Now, it's interesting that in the process of being crushed, it says that the serpent will strike his heel. The serpent will strike his heel. Now, this can be read as the very act of, of Jesus absorbing the pain of our sin on the cross as he was nailed there for you and for I to defeat the enemy. We all know the effects of sin. Every generation since then, since the beginning of time, has known the pain of sin. And yet, God's plan for salvation and redemption was put in place like I said, even before they were, were kicked out of paradise, God had already begun his work through Christ. There would be one who would crush the enemy, and it is by Jesus' wounds that we are healed. Jesus says, come to me. Uh, so we do this this morning in our worship and in the word, but we also do it in our eating and drinking of his body and blood. Um, the meal of communion reminds us of the food that lasts for eternal life from John 6, right? That does not perish. That the Son of Man will give because God has set his seal of approval on his Son, Jesus. And it's because of Jesus' perfection and his uh, crucifixion on the cross, though he deserved not any of it. He was perfect, and God was pleased with him, yet he laid himself down to forgive us and set us free. So we receive communion as an act of um, trust that Jesus is who he says he is and that God's approval of his son is enough for you and for me. We trust in this, that his death on the cross is, is the final and ultimate means of life uh, for all who believe. Let's pray. Lord God, we are satisfied in the work of Jesus. 
as we live lives following him, may both our work and our rest be an act of abiding in you to surrender. Lord, help us to surrender these critical areas of life that are so important to us back to you as Lord over all, knowing that you care for us, God. As we struggle to reconcile the difficulty of working in a fallen world, remind us of the hope that we have, both for today and for eternity. We thank you, God, for this. We thank you, Jesus, for the promise of an easy burden and a light yoke as we grow closer to you. Lord, may each of us continue to come to you to find rest and to submit to your yoke and your way. Lord, give us the rest that we need in our souls and a rhythm in which we can continue to find that with you. And bless us, Lord, as we work. May we work as an act of worship to you and may you receive it from us, God, as we do whatever we do. We do it unto you, Lord, because you are so good. We thank you for all of these things. We find everything, Lord, in your grace. And so we give you thanks and we give you praise this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.